Lorena Junco Margani, and I'm so excited for this journey. We decided to launch this podcast to share my story with the hope that you could connect the dots of your life and truly be on your way. Today on On My Way, Lorena talks with Chief Executive of the Texas Book Festival, Lois Kim. An immigrant from Seoul, Korea, Lois grew up in Williamsville, New York, and found her way to Austin after completing her PhD in English from the University of Texas. Prior to joining the Texas Book Festival, Lois served as the Associate Director of University Extension at UT, where she managed student and academic affairs for college credit students. Join her and Lorena for a candid discussion about life, literature, and the familial challenges of immigration. Now to today's episode. Hello, Lois. Welcome. Thank you for accepting. You're amazing. You're a wonder woman. I know you're juggling a lot of things with the Texas Book Festival, and yet you were able to find a, a spot for us. So I really appreciate it and do know that we will do our best to broadcast the podcast and encourage all the people to know that Texas Book Festival is still going on, just reinvented. Welcome. Thank, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. It's a total honor and pleasure. Yes. And um, so last week, Lois and I, we had a chance to have breakfast and we had a beautiful conversation. We actually share many things in common, one of them being we were not born in the United States. How is it that you became American? What's your story? So I was born in Korea. I was born in Seoul. Um, and we immigrated to the United States when I was two in 1970. So my my mother's family had already immigrated um, to the States. She had many brothers who had gone to school um, in the States. And it was my parents really wanting a better life for their family and saw the opportunity um, to go. So we 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 came over in 1970. And um, so basically you were, this is home for you. Yes, yes. We started on the West Coast in California, like Santa Monica, and then we kind of did an eastward migration. And my father ended up finding work. Um, and also we had family in Buffalo, New York. So I grew up in Buffalo. Wow. From East Coast to West Coast. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I, I always, you know, my father mentions that the amount of talent that leaves certain countries, uh, it's massive. And the, the talent, you know, that we should be giving back. So I, I always feel like towards my Mexican legacy and my roots, um, I'm launching my book soon in Spanish. How do you feel that gap, like your Korean essence? How do you have any anything close to heart giving back to your country? I wish that I have a lot of regrets around losing the language um, and not being able to speak Korean having only gone back to Korea once in my life, you know, after leaving. So I think that I, I wish that I had a closer tie that felt that was super personal, but, you know, I feel very American, you know, because this is, this is, this is my home and this is where I was raised. I have a lot of pride in my Korean heritage and I think it's um, so important to retain that culture and and 
I have a huge extended, you know, family. Um, but that family is very mixed race, you know, and that's what happens when you come to the melting pot of the United States. Yes, I love that. And is your husband, where is he from? He's a total white guy, Scott's Irish. <laughs> that's <laughs> Texan. great. That's but, great. But, you know, so, yeah, my kids are, are Asian American and um, my my two sisters also, you know, we have a big extended family and it's 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 a little bit of everything. But very, very multiracial. Wow. Which and we love. Yes, I applaud that. And are your kids into literature? You know, this, yes, they do appreciate and love literature. I think that they were huge readers when they were very small. And then I think they're, you know, in their teenage years at school and required reading. And I think now that they're, you know, kind of late teenage college, it's I think they're reading more for for pleasure. But I think in those school years, it's a little hard. So I can't really be too hard on them because it's just all about school right now. And and reading for pleasure is is something that it'll come. You know, I think it's going to come back. You know, we're we're total book nerds, and in in my husband and I are in the same book club for I don't even know <laughs> twenty plus years, and so they've seen it. And I think it'll I think it'll be be a part of their lives in their adulthood. Or I I tell myself that. I, I hope that. I hope that proves to be true. Definitely the importance of book clubs. Yesterday, Lulu was very kind to invite me to a friend's book club. We had the most deep conversation. It was just mind-blowing that they were total strangers to me and their questions were so personal at the same time. And I think that um, if it weren't within that setting, we wouldn't talk about the books. So I applaud that practice. I, if I could give a piece of advice to anyone listening, it's join a book club. You know, it's it, it's so rewarding to talk with people, even if they're your friends or they're people you only know through book club, to just have a conversation around a book is, is so satisfying. Yes, definitely. The only way I was making friends was through school and then through my book club. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing because you, you need to have a little bit of everything in your life. I'm very grateful and I invite everyone to start a book club. And if you need a partner, I'm here. <laughs> so take me a little bit into you in college years. Tell me what you studied and how you met your husband and how you ended up in Austin. Well, uh, thank you for that question. Um, I you know, grew up in Buffalo and went to like a big public high school. I went to a big public university. I went to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, um, which is, you know, a great university. And it's kind of, I think it's sort of regional. You know, you're growing up in Buffalo, so you go to um, a school that's not too far away, right? So um, I ended up at Michigan and it was sort of natural for me to be an English major because it was what I loved. It was what I gravitated toward. Um, it was what I was good at. I I would take these forays into like, maybe I should take economics so that I can earn a living and then, you know, <laughs> earned my only C, you know, at Michigan. I'm like, oh, I'm not very good at that. I guess I'll <laughs> go back to books. So it was always just a place of refuge and delight. So that's what I did. And then I was a senior living with girlfriends in a house, you know, as people do. And we were all on the job market and trying to find a job so that we could, you know, be gainfully employed as college graduates. And I kind of stumbled into a job search deciding to be a teacher, you know, and I had not gotten my certification to be a public school teacher, um, but I had been a camp counselor and I loved that whole environment of 
residential, like living with kids. So I kind of found this pathway to teach in private school. And so I kind of got on that job market and ended up teaching at a boarding school in Delaware, which I knew nothing about that world, but I, that's kind of how I became an English teacher. Wow. And what about your husband and what brought you to Austin? I came to, so after doing a few years as an English teacher in a boarding school, I was in my early twenties and loved that lifestyle, but felt that if I didn't lead, you know, it was a very small, there was a town of one stoplight kind mm-hmm. of place. And I wanted to, um, further my studies. I had done some English graduate work over the summers um, up in Vermont and decided I really wanted to be a scholar and and pursue graduate work. So I applied to a bunch of schools and got into UT Austin. So that's how I came to Texas. And so then, you know, it was one of the schools I got into. I'd never been to Texas before ever and moved here for grad school in 1993 And then I was at UT for many years. And in my first couple of years of grad school, I met my husband, Phil, who's an architect. And he, you know, we met at a graduate student party. It was actually a Michener party for the Michener Center for Writers. It was a Super Bowl party, which it seems like, you know, that those things don't seem to go together, like mm-hmm. an MFA and writing program and the <laughs> Super Bowl. But that's that's where we met. And he was, you know, already working. He he had gotten his master's in architectural theory. He had also done his undergrad um, at UT. I mean, I basically married a Texan. Wow. <laughs> I mean, once you come to Austin, it's impossible to leave and it's I, impossible to leave. I the quality of life the diversity I mean the university and what everything is drawn to because of that it's just wonderful and so you're now in Austin and so you stay here and did you start how where where did you start I think you said it perfectly, which is people fall in love with Austin when they come here yes. and they're only thinking they're going to come for a little while. And I did fall in love with Austin and I loved everything about um, what there was to do and the culture. And it was a very different Austin. And we all love to talk about all the changes, yes. of course, are happening and have happened. But it was falling in love with, um, you know, a person as well as a, a place. Um, I loved school and I loved graduate school, but I definitely realized in my journey towards my doctorate that probably a purely academic job track was not for me. So I had decided that I was not going to go leave Austin to be an assistant English professor somewhere. So then I had to figure out what I was qualified to do, which was not much because I had a PhD in English, which only you think only qualifies you for one thing, which is to be an English professor. So that was kind of a, a real journey to figure out what I could do. And is that the case? Is that is it that it limited to that? I think it isn't anymore because I think people in graduate school, especially in the humanities, have had to be creative. So I think it is opening up because I can I know several graduate colleagues who I was in school with who are doing all different kinds of things, you know, in the nonprofit world, in the business world. Also, of course, many are professors. So I think it at that time, though, I think it was a time when you didn't go into graduate school thinking you were going to do anything else but mm-hmm. be an English professor. And then realizing, oh, actually, there are these different kinds of, these skills translate to other kinds of opportunities. That's amazing. So, Lois, in your experience with running the Texas Book Festival, for example, in the art world, I managed a gallery for 13 years. And what I tried to do is 
tell people not to be intimidated to come in because it became like a very sterile environment where either you knew a lot about art or you were like looking for free wine in an ex in a, like in an <laughs> opening or you had to buy something but there was no like oh i was just walking in curious in and out they wouldn't put time on you like they wouldn't even explain the medium or anything because they would read from how you looked if you were a buyer or not mm -hmm. and i think sl slowly that has been changing the approach is a little bit more laid back um they're hiring college students to be the ones that greet you and so there's a little bit more connection with the experience does that reflect as well in the book world i mean the first thing i would say about the texas book festival as an event you know of course we're also a nonprofit is it's so fun and it's so laid back right and it's so free so i think I do encounter people feeling intimidated when they meet someone who represents books and then they are like, oh, I don't read or don't ask me what I'm reading, you know, and that I think it's a little, I do understand that sometimes it can seem a little intimidating, but really the whole experience of the book festival is to come and sort of enjoy people talking about their ideas that, you know, they're authors and they've written a book and they have spent a lot of time, whether they're children's authors or adult authors, and they have fascinating things to say. And they're smart, funny, engaging people. So putting them together and listening to them is really just entertaining. And I think it's just a great gateway for people, even if they're not finding a ton of time to read in their own lives, can kind of hear what some of the ideas are in, in, in the book world. And we're here to say, you know, come on into this world. I think you'll really like it. And you'll, it's not so much that you're going to just learn something. I think you're going to enrich yourselves in, in ways that you wouldn't expect. It's about the experience, right? I assume having access to an author and then reading the book that might be very enriching versus uh, not knowing the behind the story. So how did you reinvent yourself? I know these two years have been severely like in crisis mode and you have handled it very impressively. So first of all, congratulations. How will this year look like? We learned um, a ton last year in the first year of the pandemic. And like so many other organizations and nonprofits and everybody had to learn how to adapt to what felt like a really different world in terms of in-person versus virtual. So I think we, thank you. And we did work really hard to still bring a lot of programming to people virtually. And so I think we're just taking that and expanding on that. And were the funds the same, the same engagement? Can you measure that? You know, we, we, we have the benefit of being very, I think, you know, people love the book festival and have supported us and our supporters were amazing. Um, and so I think we did all right, you know, and we kind of were able to soldier through. Um, we felt on really solid ground because we have amazing supporters. We also, you know, didn't put on a huge physical festival. You know, that's one of our biggest expenses that we love to spend money on is because we want to provide this huge free event um, for Austinites and for Texans. And we weren't able to do that. So no doubt we didn't spend some of that money. So, Correct. you know, that was that was one thing that, you know, of course, helped us get through. For this year, um, it being a little bit more of a hybrid is we are trying 
and we are doing some in-person programming, but it's going to be real limited because I think we realize that safety is still a big concern. It's our safety of not just of everyone, our authors, our volunteers, our community. So we spent eight months of the year planning a really big in-person event when everyone was feeling really hopeful about what 2021 was going to look like and then realizing, oh, yikes, you know, this Delta variant is not going away and the numbers do not look good. So we did have to pivot again in a way that we wished we we hadn't planned on. But I think that I have an incredible team and they were all planners. You know, we, we were talking about this for months all through the summer that it could go this way. So I think it is about um, when you're dealing with event planners, you know, we talk to other organizations. We always are trying to figure out the best path forward um, by working on a lot of different scenarios. So it was painful to let go of all of our plans and scale down, but we feel really good about it. You know, we feel really good because I think we have amazing authors that we're excited we're going to be announcing very shortly, probably by, they will be out by the time this is broadcast. And so we, you know, are excited to, to, to champion them. And, and, and we love that people can access it anytime from anywhere, right? This is a wonderful yeah, benefit of virtual. You can see virtual. it as a silver lining, yeah. definitely. And then I think for the people who still want to see the in-person programming, we have some interesting things to offer. You might even have some things from COVID that will stick, right? Oh, 100%. Like, I mean, we... Would that be like available to people all over the states? You yes. Will, I think that's very empowering. No, because Texas, isn't it? One of the biggest book festivals there's in the States and like with a very important assistance, right? The book fest, the Texas book festival is one of the biggest in the country. It's one of the oldest, you know, wow. so really, um, you know, it was founded by Laura Bush when she was first lady here of Texas. And then she moved to D.C. and she founded the National Book Festival after she founded the Texas Book Festival. So I think we we are one of the oldest book festivals. There, I mean, I love that there are book festivals everywhere now. You so know? is it 30 years more or less? This is our 26th, 26th. year. It's That's our 26th amazing. year. And you've been running it for seven Uh, maybe closer to 10. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah, so I came I came over, I started here in 2013. That's so this amazing. is like, I think, my ninth festival. Wow. Uh, from past years, I remember it was at the Capitol. Mm -hmm. Will that still be the case? We decided, we had planned for a big outdoor, to keep the kind of whole big outdoor part. But when we decided that we really couldn't kind of control the crowds in terms of, you know, assurances for our authors, we decided to change the venue. So we love the Capitol and we love having the festival downtown, but for this year, we're going to not do that. So for the in-person portion, we're going to have some kids programming at Symphony Square, oh, um, which is that cool outdoor amphitheater on Waller Creek. Mm -hmm. And then on Sunday, we're going to have some in-person programming at the Austin Central Library. Which is stunning. And I think just, it's, I mean, it speaks for itself. That's beautiful. The design Uh, Lake Flato, a very well-recognized firm from Texas. So I think it'll still be a Texas essence event, and that's wonderful. So I have some friends joining here, and if it's okay with you coming from different parts of the States, could we ask you questions and just pick on your brain on how you 
you you've handled and run this amazing event. Of course. Hi, Lois. Hi. I'm glad to be here all the way from North Carolina. I'm very interested. You turned the book festival a little virtual because of all we're going through. What's your opinion on things like this, like listening to a podcast to learn, reading or listening to an audiobook to learn versus reading physical books? I heard you say your story had this great intersection in a library. And I have little ones who I try to get to the library, but sometimes it's just easier for them to listen to a book. What's your opinion with someone who has such a big book background? What should I be thinking and doing in that space? I think that stories are stories and however people can hear, read, see, experience them is wonderful. So I think, you know, one of the things that I didn't expect when we went virtual last year is how much I love the portability of it. You know, I was listening to the sessions when I uh, like a podcast when I was walking my dog. And that was something that gave it so much more flexibility. So I think it's important when you, and you have little kids. So I do think there's something really important about early literacy and having children hold a book and see the pictures and see the words. And that's, you know, how we all teach our kids to read. But I think that listening to an engrossing story is another way that a child is working on their auditory processing and hearing a narrative and understanding the components of what a story is, you know, and I think that just gets organically how we, we're humans and we tell stories and we are attracted to stories. And I think that's, I'm all about all different formats. And I think I should probably know this, but if people are able to go to the Texas Book Festival or any festival that they see, would you recommend they bring their kids with them and experience it as a family or? A hundred and a thousand percent. I think that that's one of my favorite things about the book festival is seeing families down at the festival. We have children's authors who read picture books every half hour, you know, and so you can just kind of come and and sit down and listen to a story. Again, you know, it's going to be different this year. You know, we really um, have sort of the usual format down at the festival where families come and it's like, you know, the big festival and you can just kind of wander around. This year, because of COVID, we are asking people to register so that we know what we have some capacity limits. So we are going to be asking people to keep an eye out and register so that we know if we can accommodate them. That's great. And I, th- I think my last question, and sorry to be so kid-centric, but... It's all about the kids. Yeah. It, do you have any advice for a young parent like me? I've got a seven-year-old, a three-year-old. How do I get my kids to love reading and find joy in that? I, you know, I would encourage bringing them to events where they can, you know, meet an author. Children's authors are some of the most dynamic, inspiring people and they're so great with kids. And so I cannot tell you how many times I've seen authors present, illustrators draw in front of kids and the kids just light up and it it creates a kind of inspiring experience for them that leads directly to them wanting to read and reread a book because they met that author. So I think that can be one path, you know, or do, you know, again, like I was talking about how I spent a lot of time in a library and that was not, that was like my parents just 
they kind of did, they just needed somewhere to put us, you know? And so we just kind of wandered around and we sort of discovered books on our own. So I think it's really challenging in these days because we all have those handheld devices and it's very distracting. So it is a bigger challenge for parents. I get that. But I think reading to kids, putting them in, in front of experiences that engage with stories, um, I mean, they're, they're, they're going to love it. Yeah, it's interesting timing because uh, today, actually, my son has uh, one of the school book fairs, and he was so excited because we gave him some money, and he got to pick which book he wanted, and it's it's fun to see them have fun exploring with their own choices. Do you find that at the book fair at the book festival is that something that's available for kids to do is to go explore, and maybe would you encourage parents to? talk with their kids before they come. Here's, you know, you can buy a book for $10 today or $20 today, or we can meet two authors or how, how can they have that conversation before they show up? Well, you know, I would just encourage everyone to, again, like it's going to be over the whole course of the festival. We're running October 23rd through the 31st. And again, like 90% of it is virtual to explore our website, to see all the children's authors and all who are coming to the festival. And whose content will be available online and they can, you know, listen to those authors reading to them and, you know, engaging with them. So there's, that's, that's going to be a big resource for, for families coming to the book festival, whether they come to the book festival virtually or if they come in person. Lorena, how have you, you're like one of the busiest people I know. How have you helped your kids after you wrote your book, see the importance of why you did that what the book played in your life and brought them into the importance of that journey just in the in the book creation process? That's an interesting question. So for me, it started with journaling. I've been journaling since I'm a kid and uh, I never imagined I would write a book. I didn't know I was going to be in the liberal arts. I, I've always gravitated toward doing things with my hands um, and I majored in arts but then when I had this medical malpractice, I just wove my journals and took several courses. Um, I do have a well-worked muscle in the written word. Um, it's a um, family just as you. It's like currency is words. So intellect is as well. So let's say that we excelled as students. We excelled in the written word especially and mixing languages was not applauded. So I think that's how I was wired. And I think I'm wiring my kids <laughs> that way. Um, and as you asked me, like, how do they live with art all around them? So that's how they see me. They see me writing all day. They, so it's a, a very immersive experience. They see art and they see me do art. They see me journaling and then a book. So I think it will come very naturally. My daughter, who is studying abroad, the first thing she said is like, I need to pack some journals, some pens. And I just, you know, my heart expanded and grew because I'm like, yay, mission accomplished. So I think it definitely, for everyone listening, it's very important to, to give our kids, kids and lead by example. You cannot tell them, you know, to you need to do this, that, that, but I hate reading. You know, I think it's important that you also engage with it and are excited about it because if not, you know, it's um, empty words. So I think that's the answer with my kiddos. 
Paola. Thank you, my friends. Thank you for having the time to read my book on the way to Casa Lotus. But especially thank you for having the time to listen, to listen with an open heart and open ears. I don't take this for granted. Every second you give me is a gift for me. I get better and better and I work the muscle of forgiveness. I work actually all the muscles of gratitude, even of sadness. I'm willing to sit with emotions and project myself through you and my interviewing friend where I can really say, how can I apply this to my life and how can I be a better person? I hope my story is helping you. Is it? I would love listening to your story. Reach out. It's easy. Info at lorenajuncomargain.com. Tell me your story. We're a click away. That's part of the silver linings COVID has brought. So stay with me. Tell me what you think about this amazing episode. Un beso. Thank you. Hi, Luis. Hi. I'm Lulu, and I'm from Monterrey, Mexico, as well as Lorena. My question is about the immigrants. Do you see a big population of immigrants participating in the Texas Book Festival, or would you like to see more of a segment of immigrants participating more, or what What are you doing to reach out to those different segments? That's a great question, and it's something that we're working on, and we would uh, love to have all members of the community participate in the book festival and see it. I think one challenge for us has been, you know, being able to provide some programming in a different language, you know, and with Texas being a majority minority Hispanic state, we've kind of focused on that. Um, I think, again, this year is presenting some challenges for us in terms of programming. But in, you know, the before times and as we hope to get back to what we have been working on is more programming where we can offer some sessions in Spanish or have translation. And so these are some of the things that we would like to do so that it feels really inclusive. Um, right now, you know, a lot of the programming is, you know, primarily in English. And so that can be a barrier for some communities if those immigrant communities do not have English as their first language or or that's a struggle. So that's something that we'd, we'd love to keep working on so that some of the programming can be um, more accessible. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Hi, my name is Jordan. Um, I'm from, well, I, I live in Austin now. I'm from the DFW area. I work in broadcast. I do a lot of work I, specifically as an instant replay operator. Uh, it's a pretty niche market, but we put together all the highlight packages, um, you know, in broadcast. Um, I also am an audio engineer and record producer, songwriter and whatnot. One of the major things that I do is I, I read a lot. Right now, I'm um, I'm reading um, Ready Player One, and what draws me to that is you know the the complete immersion of artificial intelligence, virtual reality. With that being said, I follow a lot of trends. Right, I like to keep trendy. What do you see um, as trends um, that maybe differs from what you've seen in past years, whether it be genres, you know, categories, what have you? Um, yeah, what do you see trending now? Well, you've said so many things that are so interesting, Jordan. First <laughs> is 
all respect to your technical abilities because what the textbook festival staff had to learn was how to produce stuff <laughs> yeah. digitally and and you know we had to learn so much on the fly and i don't think it was like in every case we were not hitting some incredibly high impeccable audio standard but we were like let's it's DIY. Let's do it. And people will be very forgiving of our <laughs> potential, yeah. like perfect professional studio quality of video and audio. And, and, and anyway, so kudos to your profession. Oh, thank you. Thank um, you. Austin Cleon, who is the author of Ready Player One, right? Mm -hmm. It has been to the Texas Book Festival and as many authors have. And that's a great question in terms of what do we see going forward in terms of books and in terms of genre. And I think what you're seeing is, I think what we're seeing is a lot of mixing of genres or mm -hmm. things that kind of, things aren't just strictly in one category, you know, so that I think you're seeing, I think readers are ready for a lot of creativity and a lot of innovation in, mm -hmm. in sort of what they read. So I think that um, we're seeing that. I think it's just things aren't strictly you know, fiction, nonfiction. I mean, they are, but then, you know, people and authors are playing around with um, different genres. Like you take a author like Rachel Cusk, like she's writing something, but is it memoir? Is it fiction? Is it autobiographical? You're not quite sure. And so I think um, it's, it's great to see there's a lot of innovation happening in the field. And there's always something for everyone yeah. in terms of books. That makes complete sense. I, I see that a lot in the in the music world, right? Uh, a lot of the, the mainstream acts, uh, they are successful because they successfully blended multiple styles and kind of made it their own. So I'm glad to hear that. Um, also, do you see a trend in, in how these people are marketing their books? Is there something they're doing differently now um, as opposed to even three, four years ago since the internet has changed so rapidly? Yeah, I think it's a different answer depending maybe what and who the author is. Yeah. You know, I think it's really interesting that there's a lot of, there's a big celebrity factor in books now, right? Like people can be big movie stars and they write books and they go on tour for those books. So we've seen that trend happen where, you know, and that was why we were able to host, you know, Matthew McConaughey or Tom Hanks or, you know, people who are sort of Hollywood celebrities writing books. Um, but I think, in terms of marketing books for people who are just starting out, like if you're a debut author, I'm definitely going to say it's challenging. You know, I think that um, there's so much talent out there, but it can be challenging for those authors to be seen and read. And so that's where someone like, like an organization like the Texas Book Festival, which is a big tent, big public festival, can really shine a light on incredible talent who's coming. And then people tell me over and over again, and we know this is true because we even survey people on this, is they'll come to the book festival to see one author who may be that celebrity author, who may be that well-known author, but they're wandering around and they'll sit down at a tent and they'll listen to something else and they'll say, gosh, who's that? That that sounds so fascinating. I need to, I need to learn more about that author. And that happens all the time. And we love that. And that's what we want to have happen at the book festival is discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, my name is Elizabeth Elias. I am from Austin and uh, I wanted to ask you, you mentioned that you thought you would work in academia. Um, did you ever imagine leading an organization as a CEO and have you learned anything from your leadership role that listeners could think about? Um, I never thought that I would be in this position doing something that I love so much. 
and that um, was such a shift from all the years that I spent, you know, in graduate school studying Shakespeare. But what I realized when I look back on my life is it was sort of always there is certain things that I gravitated to. Like in high school, I was a part of the student Congress and we were all about the events, right? Like hall decorating or, you know, Valentine's day or whatever it was. And I realized like I was always an event planner. It was actually in me, you know, I was always doing things to like plan and boss people around and, you know, make a community and, and do things. And so I think I never would have thought to think of it that way. But I, I think the advice I would give to listeners is think of the things that you just sort of naturally do, like sort of who you are and they will lead to your right path in terms of what you're doing. Like I, I, I realized that while I could really, it took a lot of work for me to sit down and be super focused in scholarship, right? Like I could do it. I forced myself to do it, but my natural MO is people and talking and hustling and, you know, engaging with people. I'm super social and extroverted and that just was always there. So it was finding that that fit of skills of what it takes to lead a nonprofit were kind of just in me, but I didn't recognize them as actually talents that I could leverage, you know, until I sort of happened into this job and realized, oh, I can do this. I've, I've been doing it actually in just in, 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 in non-professional ways in my whole life. It's so fun when you discover that that path was always there for you. And sometimes we end up in certain situations. We never knew we were going to be there. So that's really cool. Thank, Thank you. you. So Lois, tell me more. I know that hopefully next year, you know, the future is bright and that things will change. I know normally it's a big attendance and lots of excitement, but I also think there's a lot of excitement of bringing the Texas Book Festival's in their homes so the whole family can view the event. So how does that look for you? What do you encourage? What setting? What age? And uh, do you think we should plan ahead? Like, when will you put out the the roster? Do we need to sign up? How does that look like? Oh, those are great questions, Lorena. We are going to have, you know, 200 amazing authors participate in this festival. So, you know, I would encourage everyone to just go to our website texasbookfestival.org. Um, we will have all of our authors um, announced and then the schedule will come out in early October. And so people can really see when things are being broadcast, um, where people are going to be for the in-person portion. And so I think planning ahead is always good, whether the book festival is virtual or back at the Capitol next year. There's a lot of content and there's something for everyone. So I think a little bit of planning is in order. So I would definitely encourage everyone to just um, head over to either our social media channels, um, which ultimately will take and encourage people to check out the website at texasbookfestival.org. Yes, to all our friends listening, I think take this as a sign, as an opportunity to engage in literature in a different way. As as we've known, we have all transformed and adapted to, to the world that we're living but you need to include books in your life. You need to include knowledge to broaden your horizons and literally uh, instead of being stuck in a little 
YouTube video, I invite you to, to listen to the real thing, the authors speaking about their work, because this is truly a privilege. And I know that you have an amazing roster. Uh, can you tell, give us a little sneak peek on whom will be in person? Yes, we will have um, Amor Tolls, who wrote A Gentleman in Moscow in person um, at the library. We're going to have Maria Inojosa, who is the um, host and I think founder of Latino USA. Um, and she's written a memoir and she'll be also in person. Um, and we have um, some other great authors who are only going to be virtual. We have a couple ticketed events with R.J. Palacio, who, of course, is yes. the author of Wonder, and she has a new book out called Pony, and she will be one of our virtual ticketed events. And Colson Whitehead, who's a multiple Pulitzer Prize winning wow. and National Book Award um, author, has a new book out called The Harlem Shuffle, and his will be a ticketed virtual event. Every When you say ticketed virtual, virtual event, I've never, how does that work? So that those are the two events at the book festival this year where we ask attendees to purchase the book as their ticket, right? So it's a it. it's it's buying the book for access to the event. Um, that's one way that we stimulate. The, yeah, I yeah. think that's that that sometimes that's something that you know publishers we have some events that do that, and in order to host those authors, we we like to have, you know they need to be that way in terms of being ticketed, and really it's just buying the book in advance. It helps support you know the book industry and everything. But the vast vast majority of um, the events and the authors are a hundred percent free, free access. You don't have to buy the book in advance. You can just completely have free access to all of the content at the festival. I mean that's wonderful, and I hope you also keep this model. Uh, in future events, so that way we have people all over the states connecting uh, with what Texas has to offer and your amazing leadership. Thank you for being with us, and I'm very grateful that you were such a trooper because I know I totally got you in a very stre on a stretch. I know you've been juggling with a lot, so let's say this counts times two. Thank you. <laughs> no, thank you, and thank you for the opportunity to talk about what we do and what we have to offer. And we really just really, really want people to experience it and take advantage of it. So you're actually right on because a lot of times during this lead up, just if, you know, as we're heading into the festival time, this is what I I, I love to do is get out there and talk about um, all the months of planning and, and what we have in store for everyone. That's wonderful. Just one last question. Um, all your staff, is it volunteer based or is it um like, It's uh, an employment. How does that work? Yeah, we're a nonprofit of um, eight staffers. Um, so we have eight full-time employees, including me. Um, I know I was joking earlier about loving to boss people around, but for the most part, <laughs> I just listen to them. They're they're incredible. They are, are, are really passionate about our mission and have so much talent um, across the board for all the different components of what we do. Um, but in order to pull off the actual book festival, you know, when we have the big physical event, we have hundreds of volunteers, hundreds wow. and hundreds of volunteers. So there is an amazing part of the Austin community that volunteers for the book festival and helps make it happen. They help run the venues. They help check people in. They help people get to where they need to be. They help escort, um, authors from, you know, registration to their venue and, One thing that we hear over and over again from authors who travel all over the country and all over the world is how much they love 
how friendly Texans are and how how well they're taken care of when they meet people who um, are from Texas. So for all the interested listeners that would like being a volunteer, what month is it that they need to apply so they can participate? Um, that's a great question. So I think this year with our in-person stuff being pretty small, I think we have that covered. But in a normal year, we usually, late summer is really when the volunteer signups um, really get going. And so you can kind of pick the role that you're interested in. It's a great opportunity for, you know, families to get involved or really the shifts are like two hours, you know, and you can do one shift, you can do many And you do that online, so it's yes, like yeah, a we form? we have a we have a volunteer system sign up, so you can sign up in the summer. The festival is always in the you know it's either in late October, or early November, and you get a T-shirt. Oh, even better! That's amazing. Thank you so much for having the time for us and listeners. This is a sign we all need to tap into the book festival. This year will be very very special because we will have it at home and the whole content just available one click away. Thank you. This has been Lois Kim, Texas Book Festival, and expect more surprises in the coming future. Thanks for listening to On My Way with Lorraine Hunko Magain. We'd like to invite you to send us your thoughts and any questions from this podcast by emailing Lorena at LorenaHuncoMargain.com. You can also reach out to us directly through our website by clicking the link in the show description of this podcast. Special thanks to executive producer Casey Helmick, studio engineer Joseph Olguin, audio and video editor Scott Caro. This podcast is a production of Terra Firma and recorded from the historic Arlen Studios in Austin, Texas. Texas.